hello. I'm Paul Williams, President and CEO of Project for Pride and Living, and welcome to the Race, Place, and Policy podcast, our first podcast for Project for Pride and Living. Uh, many of you may know that PPL has been building communities and building success through affordable housing and career training uh, for almost uh, for 50 years now. Uh, we thought another way to build community and build success is through ideas and dialogue. We hope this space will be a place where we can have engaging discussions, promote ideas, listen to community, and identify hurdles that we all need to overcome. Solutions can't come from nowhere. They need a laboratory, a workshop to develop and shape. We hope that this is that workspace. And we think that this can't happen without talking about race, place, and policy in that discussion. That's the theme for this series, race, place, and policy. Uh, for us at PPL, race, place, and policy have been three pillars of our affordable housing and, and career readiness work for, for many years. We think race matters and the, 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 the key disparities in our community uh, that, 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 are, that have so weighed down our kind of regional and statewide competitiveness are rooted in racial disparities. So we think race is a reality for the folks who live with us, who come through our doors. Uh, and in our communities, and it's something that we just need to wrestle with and, and, and tackle. Place, neighborhoods matter. Um, we don't just live and, and, and exist nowhere, right? And so for us, neighborhoods and place and making sure that our work really contributes to building great, vibrant, healthy places is also part of that work. And then finally, policy and working on policy issues really speaks to our belief that as we do our housing and career readiness work, we actually need to think about, are there policies and systems in place that are putting folks in these difficult situations to begin with? And how do we use our leverage and our influence and our voice to tackle some of those policy issues? And so race, place, and policy are three pillars of PPL's work. And that's why we really want to uh, take some time here in, in the coming year to, to talk about these issues. So we thank you for joining us and, and hope that you'll also be uh, find ways to be part of this discussion. Uh, our first topic of, of conversation really is going to focus on the future of work. Um, what does that work look like in 2022 and 2023 and, and for the next decade, really? Um, who will be doing that work and what skills do they do they need? And, and how does PPL fit into that? into that picture. Uh, I'm joined today by Antonio Cardona, uh, Vice President for Career Readiness at PPL, uh, a longtime expert in education and, and working with folks to get prepared uh, for the future. Antonio came to us uh, earlier in 2021 uh, after a 20-year uh, career uh, with Pillsbury United, a wonderful uh, community-based organization. Uh, Antonio worked on charter school, uh, uh, issues and education issues, uh, leadership development, youth development, uh, and has a strong uh, rooted uh, uh, base of experience in, in a lot of different areas of community development. So we're thrilled to have him. So uh, Antonio, welcome. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate being here and having the, the first topic uh, with you in this podcast. Uh, definitely appreciate the opportunity to join the, the PPL team. I think it's been a, a great extension of the work that I've done for the last number of years, uh, really still rooted in education and career readiness work. Um, and also, you know, just I think um, 
fulfills my I think, inherent need to be really tangible and grounded about the work. Fabulous, fabulous. Well, before we get too deep into the weeds, uh, let's just talk about kind of, so what is the problem here and what do we need to, 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 to be thinking about as we prepare workers of the future for the work of the future um, and, and where are jobs going uh, um, and, and, and what's happening kind of in the economy for, for lower skilled, lower income workers, which are the folks that PPL most closely works with. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two traps uh, to answer that question. One are the higher level concepts that we need to kind of hold in front of us. And then also the, the more specific, tangible, uh, data-driven ones. I think when you know I had first come into this role, one of the things I had said is this kind of big concept of the next 10 years is going to disproportionately affect the next 100 years. And I think we need to keep that in the forefront of our brains in terms of how are we keeping up with the pace of change is really the core question before we get to anything uh, in, in line of skill sets or particular sectors. And so I think the kind of key things we need to think about is how do we train people to be trained in an ongoing sort of way? Uh, what, is it, what does it mean to have a frequent ability to upskill, reskill, uh, and really grow human talent? Uh, and not fully kind of track them and to say like, you're a, a, a mechanist, you are a healthcare person uh, because industries are gonna change pretty quickly. Um, I think for all jobs in particular, you know, folks that we work with, uh, entry level folks, even they are gonna need a certain level of digital dexterity as they move into a lot of jobs. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about it in some of the other questions, but AI is gonna continue to pop up automation and so to ensure that our folks don't continue to fall behind they need to have those uh, digital foundation uh, skills as well um, i think what we also need to do is be cautious of how we think about training our communities and that we're not just moving large groups of workers to other at-risk sectors which i think sometimes can happen uh, when we think about uh, entry-level jobs uh, uh, kind of that mid-level uh, skill sets um, if you're thinking more specifically, I mean, I think what we're wrestling with now is um, a lot of the sectors that have lost jobs are the ones that affect communities of color and BIPOC communities, hospitality, retail, transportation, office support. Those are all the ones that are going away. And many of those aren't the ones that are going to come back. Uh, the ones that are growing pretty quickly is uh, e-commerce. That's, you know, gone up very, very quickly. Uh, health aids. STEM professionals across the board. Um, you know, I think things that are specific to our community is really backend tech, things that are like uh, infrastructure buildings, so actually wiring buildings, uh, data analysts, that sort of work where people can kind of get access to a career, which is actually a career that they can have um, a ladder. So those, I think, are the kind of initial places that my mind goes on that. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. I mean, when I, your, your, your first, comment there about the next 10 years influences the the next 100 years is really uh, is I think really compelling um, and and your your emphasis on continuous learning uh, I think is is right on the money and very much fits with um, PPL has always had this notion especially in the last you know five to ten years that we don't want to just get folks a job we want to have we want to help people build a career. 
right? And, 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 and finding living wage jobs. And so, so where are those jobs, I think, is that key question that, that you're talking about. So as we record this, we're in the midst of, of yet another surge of the pandemic. Um, this time, the, the uh, Omicron variant. And, and we know that folks have been struggling with, with uh, all the effects of COVID for almost two years now. Um, what has this pandemic meant for education and career training? How has it impacted uh, our work at PTL? Yeah, I think what is unfortunately happening is that it's really just increasing a lot of the gaps that we've already seen for decades and decades. And so I think our key challenge is how do we mitigate uh, as much of that as possible? I think the, the grand challenge that families are facing is having to make these tough decisions of do I stay home and care for my child or do I go make money? and advance myself, whether it's get a certificate or various things. And that's an impossible question uh, for people to answer. Uh, And so I think, you know, that's a lot of why you're seeing folks exiting the workforce, either voluntarily or involuntary, but then not going back uh, because they they need to be able to care for their families. I think one of the things that we also need to think about is, um, even though we're still in the middle of the pandemic, how are we prepping for whatever the COVID recovery looks like. Uh, I was looking at uh, some data in the last few weeks. Uh, undergraduate enrollment is down uh, 7% since 2019. Uh, and I think when you specifically look at community colleges, that's more 13%. Uh, and so particularly at the community college level, you know, here locally, Minneapolis College, high proportions of students of color there. And so that's going to have an effect on where where folks are going uh, in the future. We've seen that during this pandemic, as you mentioned, you know, communities of color, BIPOC communities have certainly suffered, you know, disproportionately, um, both on healthcare fronts and other disparities, you know, have been even further kind of widened. Um, it, what, what are we learning about uh, kind of the unique needs and, and skills, work skills, particularly for, for those communities and communities of color um, as, as we come out of this, uh, the, this, this, uh, the pandemic. Yeah, and I think it's about what are we learning about the needs of the workforce, but I think it's also requiring us as workforce organizations to interrogate, or interrogate ourselves of what we need to do and shift uh, to be able to match that. Uh, a good uh, close co- local colleague of mine, she uses a tsunami analogy quite frequently. Um, and so she's used it around COVID, but then also, you know, after the murder of George Floyd. And so think about a tsunami, right? The, the water pulls back, it exposes everything that's underneath, and then the water comes back and slashes that all over. The water comes up a little higher. So those who have the resources, the ability to foresee can get to higher ground. But those that are closer to the shoreline are the ones that are, uh, you know, kind of most detrimentally uh, affected. And so that's very much the case with COVID, as we saw job job losses, even things like, you know, uh, racial unrest here in Minneapolis. Uh, It all happened on Lake Street, Chicago. It affected our communities first uh, before anybody else. Um, Connected, I think, to the, the previous question around college. Uh, I also saw, I think about a week ago, um, World Bank and UNICEF uh, put out this report that said, uh, this generation of students, there's a projected 
uh, lifetime earnings loss of about $17 trillion uh, based on what is happening now with COVID, which, you know, constitutes about 14% of GDP. And so I think to your question about how does this affect BIPOC communities, um, we know that connected to the previous thing about college and community college enrollment, uh, it's our folks that are going to be most disproportionately affected. And so, you know, really anticipating that inequities are going to pretty dramatically increase. And so how do we stay in a space where we can be hopeful, productive, uh, and have good, good solutions? I think for us as workforce organizations, thinking about what the benefits of COVID have been, because there's been many, many benefits. Corporations have benefited, high wage earners have benefited, People with multiple homes have benefited. And so I think there's a question for us of how do we pull down these benefits from the top and make them more accessible for people closer to the ground? And so one of the examples that I've been using a lot, and I think Paul, I've shared this with you is, you know, so if we if we are rooted on Franklin and 11th over here, and in, a, in normal times, you know, the mom from three blocks behind us will walk in, get training in, let's say, our banker and teller program. Uh, we have a relationship with Wells Fargo down the street, uh, get her hooked up with a good, you know, $19, $20 an hour job. Uh, it's down the street. Well, if we think about the way that higher age, uh, higher wage earners are able to access remote work, shouldn't we also be thinking about what type of remote work opportunities are available for our types of folks? So if I, if in normal times, I'm training her for a $20 an hour job locally, but I know that there's say payroll positions open with Wells Fargo that's based out of Charlotte and it's 25 to 28 dollars should I not then try to you know hook her up with that sort of job and so I think those are sort of the kind of shifts in you know even how we think about place that layer on top of this yeah that's really uh it's really insightful um and 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 there there is there is opportunity in, in these multiple pandemics and by the way we ought to just acknowledge that there in fact are multiple pandemics, the, the COVID pandemic, without a doubt, the, the, the racial and social unrest following the George Floyd murder is another pandemic, uh, and, and all that has gone on with that. The political unrest uh, in, in the elections that followed um, and all of the implications, January 6th, uh, and, mm -hmm. and, and the, the uh, again, the, just the kind of the, the unsettling of community. Uh, these are multiple waves of pandemics, in fact, that have hit uh, that have hit our folks. Um, and and you're right that there there are opportunities actually here. And I'm I'm struck um, uh, just to, you you talked about kind of uh, virtual work and and opportunities there. Can you say a little bit more about kind of um, the impact and and what what PPL programs have uh, kind of learned in terms of the future and kind of continuing virtual training, for example, even after the pandemic is over? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, even if you just think about adult learners, uh, I think what it's forced us to do is employ methods that are actually better suited for adult learners. Uh, adult learners are not that different, much different than kids. I mean, they need multiple mechanisms they need to hear things, they need to experience things, an opportunity to read it if they're oriented that way. Uh, and so doing trainings virtually, um, you have to employ all of those different methods uh, because you have limited time. I mean, what you might have done once in a four hour in-person training, 
nobody wants to sit on a four hour Zoom. So you do a 90 minute and then you have asynchronous work that, you know, you do outside on your own, which actually works better for, you know, working families. Uh, I might not have time to leave and go somewhere nine to one every, you know, you know, two days a week. Uh, I need to do some of this when my kid is sleeping. And so I think those are some of the things that uh, have actually worked well. Um, on the place question, you know, we also have connected communities that, that aren't super geographically close. So we're seeing people enroll in some of our classes that are outstate Minnesota, St. Cloud, Rochester, uh, and they're getting access because they don't need to physically uh, show up. And so I think that that's, um, that's a benefit. One of the things that we do also have to wrestle with is I think the way that PPL and other workforce programs have functioned. And I think what's part of our secret sauce here is the cohort-based program. And part of that is because when you, when you bring a group of folks together, uh, they create their own system of support. And so you have better retention. Uh, you have people who can help one another, call each other and say like, hey, I'm struggling with this piece of the assignment or you know, what types of jobs are you finding? Uh, and so we need to be able to still create that magic, uh, if you will, of that cohort. I mean, I think the other thing that it connects to from a, a wealth building perspective is that uh, white communities traditionally have been like really great at leveraging their their networks. Whether you think about like way back when of like, you know, Ivy League colleges and whatever else, they tend to keep close. And so part of these sorts of programs, the benefit is also how are we creating community? and strong networks where if you get a job somewhere, the expectation is that you pull a couple other people along with you at some point as well. Let me push you a little bit actually on that, that point because I, I mean, clearly COVID and the pandemic has separated us. Mm-hmm. And, and what, what's your sense of, of uh, when are folks gonna be comfortable coming back, right? To participate in a cohort model, because I I agree that cohort model has been really uh, that's been a powerful uh, model not only for PPL but but I think for the employment and training industry kind of more broadly at least here in the Twin Cities right with the career pathways work um, that cohort approach is something that's really been part of that secret sauce but it just it just feels like it's so challenged by you know the separation that the pandemic has caused. Yeah, it's a hard it's a hard question to answer. And I mean, I think it just as you know, when we're doing our planning in-house, you think you've arrived at an answer and then the answer changes and you have to rework it. Um, I mean, I think, you know, we're definitely going to be in this route a, a little bit longer, uh, you know, but if the data is pointing us in a hopeful direction, hopefully in the next few months, it'll start to taper off. I mean, I think part of the thing, too, is also people need to be able to wrestle with their own level of risk assessment uh, because people are going to restaurants, people are going to events, concerts, things of that nature. And so I think we need to think about like, where do we value our in-person time? Uh, And part of that is also just familiarity, right? It's going to be much easier for me to uh, go to an event with people I know than to an event with people that I know less about and I know less about, you know, kind of where they've been. So it's a, it's a tough nut to crack. Yeah. It's been such an interesting time. Uh, the, when you look at the demographics of the workforce, um, right, we know that the future workforce is increasingly looking different 
right? It is, it is increasingly coming from, again, lower income communities of color, uh, just when you look at the, the changing demographics of the workforce. So one of the things I always say to every one of our graduating uh, uh, classes is we desperately need you to succeed. This economy, this region in the Twin Cities and the state of Minnesota desperately needs you to succeed because we need every worker we can get. And increasingly, those workers are going to need to be homegrown workers. And, and these are our folks, right, that, uh, that we love and, and so appreciate here at PPL. Um, can, you, can you talk just a little bit about, I know there's, again, the dynamics of the, of the workforce. There's all these resignations and, and the, what they, the great resignation they're calling it. And, and there's so many, uh, such a shortage of workers in a lot of different um, areas. And, and uh, can, can you just talk about that dynamic and what do you think that means for our folks? It certainly means, you know, that, that we're, we're trying to pull people in, right, into our career training programs at the same time that they're looking at all kinds of different opportunities. And they're weighing that, obviously, with the risk of going out, particularly in kind of public facing jobs. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think we need to think about how we're thinking about it, because certainly the great resignation is the phrase that people are using. Uh, but I've also heard people moving to the great realignment. And I think that there's a soul searching that has been forced uh, during this time that we also need to think about what does that mean for the future, not just uh, the now. Because I think what it's also requiring is that employers are boosting wages, though certainly not enough, uh, but we're definitely seeing uh, increased wages. Uh, and it's also really hard to say where people are going that are leaving uh, the workforce. It's becoming more difficult to, uh, to track people. I think in the spirit context, context of the kind of great realignment, as people wrestle with work-life balance, they're asking themselves a lot of questions about purpose and how they want to be spending their time. And so, and I'm going to get a little nutty probably here in, in just a second after, after this point. Um, but even as we think about uh, increased AI and automation, there's also an opportunity in it to think about how can this help make work even more human? How are human beings looked at as more than just wheels in a cog uh, and not just kind of factory workers? And so I think there's a thing where we can leverage automation and AI to kind of take on some of that burden that people are feeling that they want to have a broader purpose in life. Uh, one of the texts that we've been using uh, on our team is this book called Creating the Future. And in it, they identified these three kind of characteristics of the super future, like what is really going to determine uh, where we're going. And so one of the things that they really highlight is hybridization. You have these mega corporations that are able to move into different spaces and sectors very quickly. Amazon, which once just sold books, now is a grocer. Now they're going to be NASA and they're doing all these insane things. And so they're combining sectors very quickly. The danger that that has is that it's also able to take large populations of workforces with them. And so how are we being cautious of what that looks like? Um, the other thing, which I think is a, a benefit for our folks is instant entrepreneurship with access to technology. You can build a brand overnight. Uh, I mean, I've been seeing all these young kids that have really nailed the concept of drop shipping. They never touch inventory. They just create the flashy 
uh, online store, somebody buys it from them and they just click a button and the you know sunglasses appear on the door and they're making thousands of dollars a month. And so this can be leveraged for our folks because what we're hearing, especially from young folks, is that they don't want to do traditional work, that they are interested in making money for themselves and building businesses. Uh, and so that's another one. And this last one, again, about AI uh, and automation will be kind of the core driver. Yeah, man, that is really something. And, and again, it, it, there are powerful opportunities there uh, for our communities um, and, and kind of a very different uh, future. I'd love to you use that term. You know, people are looking to, to be thought of in, in more human terms and viewed as not just a cog in the wheel. And I, you know, that so resonates um, with, I think, who we are at PPL. And, and two things I think of one, it's no coincidence that pride is in our name, Project for Pride in Living. PPL has always believed from our first, uh, first existence, you know, 50 years ago, in the dignity of all, uh, in, in the pride. And, and the second thing I think about is, is uh, when I talk, especially to our career readiness participants and hear them speak at their own graduations, they, they talk about inner strength, inner confidence. You know, and they'll say things like, well, you helped me find, and you know, I knew I had it in me there. You helped me find it again. And, and that, that sense of self-agency, that sense of confidence, that sense of uh, inner strength is something that I think is part of the secret sauce at PPL. And, uh, and I think you really, uh, you really hit on that. So, um, so one, one last question, Antonio, um, you know, kind of peer into the crystal ball here and and let's just say five, 10 years from now, you know, where are we? And, and what does is, what is, what is work look like in our, in our PPL community? Yeah, I mean, I think to, to answer that question, uh, you need to start with the idea that the future isn't actually in the future. It's now and it was yesterday. Uh, because I think when we think about work, technology, things like that, or even just kind of business concepts, uh, they only gain traction once people are able to actually see it and recognize their utility. So let's say like Instacart, for example, the first Instacart really existed in like 1992, but nobody understood that, like they didn't get it. Uh, and you can like point to a lot of technologies and a lot of kind of business concepts where it really existed ages ago. And so it's really about how we recognize and accept uh, utility. Um, I think certainly some of these big concepts that I already said, artificial intelligence and automation uh, is going to be a driver. Um, unfortunately, like I said before, increased inequality is, is going to happen, and we need to figure out how to put some drag on that as much as possible. Um, certainly, increased access to big data is going to very much continue. And so how does that data become uh, you know, as publicly available as possible, and how do real folks CBOs get access to it and, you know, how are they able to use it for decision-making? And then, you know, I think if we're thinking this 10, 20 years down the line, we do also need to kind of face the reality that there's going to be kind of an increase in climate refugees. And so there's a piece in it for even us at PPL where we do career and affordable housing and how do communities more seamlessly resettle people and integrate them, uh, get them affordable housing, get them jobs. And so there's going to be a lot of kind of mixing uh, of populations as we move ahead. 
Well, that, that is a fantastic actually finish um, because that really speaks to PPL's role in, in believing in a, in a broader approach, a more comprehensive approach to building community. It is about place. It is about race. It is about policy. It's about housing and job skills. Uh, it's about creating great places. It's about engaging young people. Uh, and, it, and it's about doing it in a way that builds community. And so that maybe that's a segue into one of our upcoming <laughs> podcasts. Uh, because I think that it, you really, you really hit that, uh, hit that nail on the head, because I, I really believe that's at the heart of what we do here at, at PPL. So thank you, Antonio. Great discussion. Um, and, and thanks to all of you uh, for listening, for listening in uh, today. Um, and I'm Paul Williams uh, from PPL, and, and this has been the Race, Place, and Policy podcast. We'd love to hear what you think uh, about this uh, series. Drop us a note at the communications uh, drop us a note at communications at ppl-inc.org. That's ppl-inc.org. Give us some thoughts or some ideas on what you'd like to hear about next. And, and we hope you'll subscribe and sign up for notifications from wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can always find us on our website at ppl-inc.org. And until next time, uh, be well, stay safe, and, and stay healthy.